The following is a North Carolina Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. I want to start off with a, a good definition of discipleship. It's kind of long, so I won't just write it on the board here. But since we're talking about mission trips that make disciples, I thought a good long definition of discipleship would be good. Uh, this is by Avery Willis. The definition is this. Christian discipleship is developing a personal, lifelong, obedient relationship with Jesus Christ in which he transforms your character into Christ-likeness, changes your values into kingdom values, and involves you in his mission in the home, the church, and the world. So uh, with that in mind, uh, I want to talk about missions and discipleship and mission trips as kind of being a subset of that and how it fits into the grander uh, scheme of what God is doing. Um, There is something called the 747 principle uh, regarding short-term mission trips, and it's this. uh, There's no transformation by aviation, meaning uh, just because you get on an airplane and go on a mission trip, that doesn't really change your character, you know, at least just by getting up in the air. And so uh, it's really important to be living out uh, the Christian life and and what God is doing in your life here before you go over there. Of course, you will grow as you're serving. And when you come back, want you to continue to serve. And and seeing the short-term need, you may see the the long-term need for you personally to go back as well. But um, that's just something that's important to, to keep in mind. One of the things that I ask people at our church Uh, who are going on mission trips, and the orientation we do pre-trip, I ask them, what percent of the mission trip do you think is going to benefit you, and how much of it is going to benefit the missionaries and the national uh, people who are on the ground? Um, Because sometimes I've heard people say, uh, I went on a mission trip, and I think maybe the only person that was changed was me. Um, and if that's the case, I would say that's a failure of, of the mission trip. That's not the best mission trip if you're the only one that was changed. So, yeah, we want you to grow as a disciple as you go on a mission trip, but we want you to be effective in what you're doing, something that's beneficial both to the believers on the ground and the lost as well. So what I've put up here on the board, some of you are familiar with it, is the four fields of kingdom growth, and that's the blue notebook that's there in the back that everyone can have one or more copies of that. Um, could someone read Mark four twenty six through 29 for us? And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Thanks. So that parable that Jesus told about the kingdom of God growing, expanding, uh, on one hand, you just see it as like a farm. You know, Jesus is basically just saying the kingdom of God is like a farm. You know, and you're kind of left with, and? You know, like, what am I supposed to do with that? Um Nathan and Carrie Shank have, and some others have come up with four fields, which I think is a helpful paradigm in knowing uh, how the kingdom of God advances. And uh, four fields is two things. One, it's a paradigm, which I think is golden. Um, it talks about the five uh, parts, 
Uh, sometimes you hear about six parts of the core missionary task, um, the sixth one being exit. But um, when there's, you know, a successful job where you can say, hey, we can get out, you know, there's been enough indigenous Christian leaders who are doing the work. But um, so on one hand, it's a great paradigm. Uh, on the other hand, it's some really good uh, field-tested best practices of tools that are suggested and can be adapted to different contexts, just keeping them biblical, simple, reproducible. And so that's why there's a whole notebook behind the picture uh, as well. But those five parts being the empty field. So with anything with when you're farming, you're starting out, you got to have some land. And so spiritually and with ministry, it's showing us entry strategy. So think about all places and all peoples. And so uh, think about uh, every village or every people group, uh, every neighborhood in your city, whatever it looks like. How do we saturate our communities and our people groups with uh, the gospel? What's our plan to get in? And then how are we sowing the seed? How are we sharing the gospel uh, with people there? And then uh, how do you grow them as disciples following Christ and then the, the parable said the harvest time comes and you, you gather the harvest, you take the sickle to it. And so we know discipleship is not just you and Jesus. Um, it's the body of believers as well. And so how do we plant churches that plant churches and continue to, to multiply? This uh, flywheel here in the middle is to develop and multiply leaders. So leadership development I believe is the most important of the five parts that we can do from cross-cultural mission trips. So leadership development, I think is so important because most people in their minds, when they think of mission trips, they're thinking, I'm going to go and I'm going to share the gospel. And of course we do want to share the gospel, but um, you kind of have to ask the question like, why aren't there more local believers sharing the gospel? And if that's not there, then you have to ask a bunch of other background questions and go, well, how do we get to that? How do we get to a bunch of local believers who are sharing the gospel and making disciples? And so anyways, you may have a different perspective and you're entitled to that, you know, but that's something with our church that we really try to emphasize uh, developing and multiplying local Christian leaders who are parts of movements. Um, so for example, we're in India uh, last month with a movement of 1,600 churches uh, that have been planted over the last eight years. That's a great thing, um, except who's preaching 1,600 times on Sunday? And so you've got a lot of newer believers coming out of Hinduism and Islam and got to make sure that they're equipped and grounded in the word, that they're able to protect against heresy, you know, and keep people moving forward in obedience. Um, so, yeah, here's the paradigm that's helpful. This sheet, if you uh, got it, I'll kind of talk through this a little bit. And so uh, if you just came in, feel free to grab one of everything that's on that kind of tabletop back there. So the name of our church is Calvary Baptist in Winston-Salem. And so this is what I have developed just for our church. What does it look like? Because uh, mission trips is just a part of the whole ministry of how do we make disciples who are making disciples. And so for us on the left side, you see, okay, for Calvary members, or you could just fill in the blank, whatever church you're at, individual Christians, how are they growing and praying, giving, going, and living on mission? When individual believers do a better job of that, then we make a greater collective kingdom impact, which is here on the other side. 
uh, of partnering with other Christian leaders, planting new, ter- new churches, and multiplying movements that can reach millions of people. So uh, when we look at um, Pray, Give, Go, Live, yes, I would say Go, Share, and Show the Gospel is the place where I would put our mission trips, but I also put it under our local missions, how we're uh, showing the gospel and also speaking the gospel as well. If I could just say that there is one part that I want to highlight, um, it's live with a heart and mind on mission. The reason I focus so much on living with a heart and mind on mission, I see this as falling more in love with Jesus and being equipped to do whatever he calls you to do. When you do that, you're going to pray more. You're going to give more. You're going to go more. And so uh, I think that that is really important. However, I've also realized that sometimes you have to build up some baby steps and sometimes half baby steps to get to that place. I mean, sometimes it's not just a you know, switch where someone says, oh, now I'm living with a heart and mind on mission. And so, uh, because otherwise I feel like sometimes missions can be arm twisting, you know, like, hey, come on, you know, we need to give some more. And it's like, no, you don't need to guilt trip people, you know, like just help them know the heart of God more um, and fall more in love with him. And then they're going to naturally pray more and give more and go more. So I think that that's really important. Um, So I think one of the challenges that I've had Uh, as a missions pastor at a church here in North Carolina, is trying to help people take those half steps, those baby steps. You look at the whole continuum of discipleship. Uh, None of us have fully arrived, right? None of us can say, oh, yeah, I'm 100% perfect. I've got it all together. No, but if we look back, there are so many people and resources that have been invested into our lives that got us to this place. And so I come, you know, back from the field going, all right, as a missionary and trying to help other people become missionaries. And it's like, oh, wow, there were a lot of steps I had to take to get to here. And God's not calling everyone to be a cross-cultural missionary, but he is calling all of us to be on mission. And so uh, I'll give an example of how this has worked Um, practically at our church. Uh, If I go back to last December, we had a guest missions preacher uh, named Todd Arend, who I think is one of the best mission speakers in the country. And uh, we had some events lined up uh, with him. So he preached on Sunday morning, and I kind of compare that to like an on-ramp. You know, it's like so much of what happens in churches unfortunately, is about Sunday morning, you know, and and there's a lot of great stuff that happens Sunday morning, but the church should be seven days a week, you know, but um, there's so much that happens on that Sunday morning. So trying to make sure there's stuff within our worship services that is pointing people to being more on mission with God. And so I had this on-ramp where some people didn't know that they're having a guest preacher today, but all of a sudden here they are, they're getting on the highway here and they they don't know what's about to come. Um, but had a compelling message. We also had some IMB missionaries who are members of our church sharing about a mission trip need that they had coming up the next summer. And so with both of those combined, it was a catalyst for some other things. So we had the mission preacher, Todd, uh, give three hours of workshop after the services. So free lunch, free child care. And he walked through a lot of stuff with missions, had about 150 people in the room. And so I, as I was emceeing that, I said, this is the slow lane. You know, I was like, I'm glad you're here. You know, some of you thought, 
I don't know how I got on this road with this, you know, dynamic mission speaker, but I want to get off. You know, but I was like, you chose to stay on and I appreciate you being here in the slow lane. But I said, I also want to invite you to come into the fast lane. Um, and so what I was proposing to them in that was the perspectives course. Perspectives on the World Christian Movement is a 15-week course that I think is a game changer for a lot of just average you know, believers in your church that can get a heart for what the Lord is doing in a short time frame. And so I was encouraging them, hey, take the perspectives course um, January through April. And so had several people take that. Then the end result of all of that is praying more, giving more, going more. Uh, so I think the perspectives course is the best tool really that's out there for the average church. It's kind of like a freebie. You know, it's like there's another church that's hosting it. Uh, there's going to be three that start in January, one in Chapel Hill, one in Raleigh, and one in Winston-Salem. But you can go to perspectives.org and find out where other classes are happening. Some are in the fall semester uh, as well. And so I put out two pieces um, in the back related to perspectives. One is this brochure. So 180,000 people have taken the course. Um, and then this is more of like a pastor's booklet that you can see like, okay, what happened to churches who uh, had a lot of people go through the perspectives course? And so it's just been neat to see people who took perspectives and they're like chomping at the bit. They're like, what can I do to be on mission? And sometimes that was going on a mission trip. So I took one of them and it was his first mission trip and we went to India this fall uh, together. But some of them went on the mission trip to work with our IMB uh, church members as well with that, you know, uh, request that they made from the platform on a Sunday morning that turned into reality. And so um, those are just some real practical tools that have been uh, helpful for for me. Um, one of the things that I want to uh, draw your attention to as well is this God's Heart for the Nations booklet. This is something that we use with everyone who goes on a mission trip. So we just pay for them as a church, but everyone who's going on a mission trip, we say, here's your God's Heart for the Nations booklet, and you guys should be doing this, you, going through this in your team meetings. And so you've got these pre-trip meetings where you're talking about culture, and you're talking about evangelism, and you're talking about logistics. But this really helps there to be a biblical basis of mission. So this is kind of like perspectives light, you know, where it's like, okay, for the average person, um, you know, Perspectives is a 15-week course, 15 different speakers. It's got a book that goes along with it. It's all great. But this is a quick version for some people to really grasp, for example, uh, Revelation 7, 9, 10, that end vision that there will be believers from every nation, tribe, people, and language before the throne for eternity. And so that's a promise. Again, that's why I don't think missions is an arm twist. Like, oh, we got to do this, otherwise it won't happen. It's like, no, God's doing it. You know, it's missions is an invitation. God's going to do it with or without us. You know, let's be a part, though, of what he wants to do. So God's heart for the nation. Sometimes we use that as devotions during the mission trip. So they'll say, hey, I'm going to do the uh, lesson one. There's eight lessons in here. I'll do lesson one today. You do lesson two tomorrow. You do less, you know, lesson three the next day. And so that's just been really helpful to make sure that we're grounded in God's word. Otherwise, sometimes mission trip uh, preparation meetings are just a bunch of logistics. And so want us to make sure we know why the Lord has called us to that. Um, a couple of other materials that um, you got when you came in. 
This is put out by the Baptist State Convention for uh, 30 unreached people groups who are in our state and then 30 lost pockets as well where the most unchurched people live in concentrated areas in our state. And so encourage you to get that. And then there's two different uh, pieces that we have from the IMB, and I'd be glad to let uh, one of you guys talk about it as well. Uh, foundations, core missiological concepts, key mission terms, the missionary task, and then every church, every nation helps your church uh, get more involved in how to go, how to engage, how to equip. So, um, and then one last piece of paper, I think, with all this you know material that we've got. Um, we have uh, a packet of information that we give to people who are going on mission trips, and it runs the gamut of everything you can imagine that's in there. One of the things that we put in there is this spiritual release of rights. So we do have some things like the uh, risk of assumption form, and you've got those that are like legal documents, you know, that's like, please don't sue our church if something bad happens on your mission trip. So it's like we've got those legal forms that are in there, but this is different than that. Uh, what this is is really a spiritual process that says, hey, I'm laying down my rights to this and that. And sometimes we use the word right pretty loosely. Um, like, hey, I'm entitled to this. I need this. I need that. And it's like, you're not going to have that on the mission trip. And so we've got to be able to lay that down. Put some of the scriptures there. You think about the rights that Jesus had, you know, in Philippians 2, talking about how he laid that down. Or Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I won't read the whole page to you, but that's just a sample that you may find helpful to give to people in your church who are going on mission trips. So just a couple of examples, though. I give up my right to uh, a comfortable bed, but I entrust to God my strength and endurance. Uh, I give up my right to... Uh, control of myself, but I entrust to God my need for His Spirit control. Uh, I give up my right uh, to being understood, and I entrust to God my reputation. So those are just a few examples that we have found helpful um, getting on the right foot before the mission trip happens. So, um, yeah, that's important with mission trips. I think I already mentioned it's really important on what you do on the debrief side as well. Once a mission trip is over, how do you help them to keep growing and being on mission? Sometimes that means they go on another mission trip. Sometimes you put them on a path to become a long-term cross-cultural missionary. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are a few. And sometimes on a short-term trip, people see the long-term need and want to do more about that. Um, but another piece, and it's not an either-or. You know, I think it's a, a both-and. You also want to make sure they're involved well in local missions. So in your community, when they come back to say, hey, that was a great one-week trip, but what about the other 51 weeks? How are you being on mission now? How did that influence you? And so there's a variety of ways that that can look like in local missions, but I'll spare details unless you want to ask them during question and answer time. But uh, I want to invite our three brothers from the IMB. If you guys could all just kind of stand up here at the front. One to ask some questions of them kind of a panel discussion. So to hear from the other side, okay? So I'm kind of speaking from both sides, having been with the IMB on the field in South Asia, but also from a church perspective. But I want to hear from you guys um, with, with mission trips and making disciples, what has gone really well? 
what hasn't gone well. So um, maybe each of you could talk a little bit about how you guys have seen, uh, how, how you guys have used mission trips in your strategy. Sure. Um, I'll talk about our teams as well. We had about six teams in Cambodia. Um, we brought in large medical teams sometimes, like 40 or plus in a group. Those are difficult. It's hard to get them fed. It's hard to get them where they need to be. It's hard to transport them. So I, I, I personally like the smaller groups, four to six sometimes were a little easier to handle. But uh, we, um, I, I'm an optometrist by, in my previous life before I went to seminary and, uh, and went, I served in Singapore and the preacher and the pastor in Singapore, I was a minister of education in International Baptist Church in Singapore and he had me take teams to Cambodia. He said, if you step on a landmine, we'll name a building after you. So thankfully, there's no building named after me. <laughs> but with that encouragement, we fell in love with Cambodia. And so I would do, I witness mobile clinics in the villages. And, and so we'd use volunteers. We'd, we'd like to actually go door to door. I'd put a, a team of two with a, a national, and we'd go door to door and have them check eyes. We, I taught them in a day what they needed to do. We had glasses that we could get there where you could bring Lions Club glasses. So, you don't have to be a, an optician or an optometrist to go do those kind of things. So we like to train people on the job and, and help them. And they would, we taught them C to C, and so the, the nationalists would help them with the C to C creation to Christ, uh, just as a gospel tool. But uh, anyway, we'd like to use them in various ways. We've had, we've had firefighters come and, and work with some of the, the, the firefighters that work at the airport. We've had uh, teams come out and teach English, ESL, and, and to university students. A lot of the nationals want to study English, so it's, it's always a good tool. Um, we've had, um, I think those are probably some of the basic things, but I've, we've had some leaders come, pastors come and help teach some of our leaders and share about marriage principles and those kind of things. So it, it, I would say look at what your congregation, what your flock is able to do and, and willing to do and ask the folks on the field what they're looking for. What That's they're good. Looking. That's good, thanks. Adam, how you guys use mission trips in your strategy? For us, we're targeting specifically local churches, kind of like what I said. And so uh, I've, I've been in the city for about a year, so I don't have the wealth of knowledge like my brothers up here do. Uh, but for the trips that we have had since I've been there, one of the things is like bringing pastors in to work with local pastors. And sometimes pastors come in to do a teaching or a preaching or a seminar, and those are really good things. But one thing that really impacts the brothers that are in Indonesia is taking a day or two and taking the pastors from the States and then they just go to the pastor's home and sit on their floor, eat their food, and listen to what their life looks like in Indonesia, what their ministry struggles are, what their hardships are, what they're dealing with with their congregations. How would that pastor from the States do it? And so really what that looks like is just being brothers. And so that really helps out when you, when when someone, when a brother would fly, a brother or sister would fly halfway around the world to come sit in their living room and be a part of their life, that can do a lot of ministry. Um, where teaching is great, I think it, it takes both of uh, being able to help out, but then also just walk in their shoes for a little bit. So having people that are willing to just come and say, I want to I want to be where the people are mm -hmm. is, is, a, is a really big thing. 
That's good, because sometimes people think of a mission trip like, I want to speak to a thousand people in a crusade, you know. It's like, that may not be the most helpful thing, you know, on on a trip. And so, uh, yeah, even as we've, you know, focused mission trips on training, sometimes I do, you know, what you're saying. Like, I'll tell this guy, like, okay, see that Christian leader there? Like, he is your brother for the week. Like, he's not your translator. You know, he's your brother, and you're going to get to know him well and just hear his stories, encourage him, pray for him in a a deeper way. So that's really good. Brian, tell us how a mission trip has looked like in your ministry. These guys have have said just about all that we do, but uh, we love teams. We love um, coming over. And if you come over just and it it just changes you, we consider that still a success uh, because you go back, change, and bring it, uh, bring a different perspective back over. Um, We will add, some teams have just come over just to minister to us. And they have said, we'll do ministry if you need us to, but you're our ministry. And so that's been good. Um, We feel like when teams come alongside of us, they give, help our people have different perspective on Christian, what Christian looks like. Because contrary to popular belief, we're not perfect and we do sin. And so it's it's good to have those other influences. But they've mentioned a lot that we do as well. Can I just add one thing? Please. Um, he, he mentioned, and I forgot to bring it up earlier, but you're coming out to do daycare so that the adults can meet together and have discussions about strategy and prayer and, and re- refreshment. Taking care of our kids, doing a VBS, those are great blessings. It gives us a time even to maybe have a date night that we don't normally get. So just don't think of that as being a manual task or unimportant. That is a blessing to the families on the field. So next question I want to ask is about some mistakes because I know that we want to be positive and we want to share, as, as you guys share in churches, positive things that are happening. But this is kind of a safer place, you know, to say, hey, what are some of the mistakes that you've seen people make on short-term trips. Maybe there are mistakes that you've made too, you know, but you can just say, oh, here's some of the mistakes that we've learned from with mission trips. And it can be open, anyone who wants to answer that. I'll tell you one shock that I had. This team came off the, they're from Oklahoma, but nothing against Oklahoma, but they rolled out one of their team members in a wheelchair and I thought, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? That woman sat during our eye clinics in the heat, we had shade for her, but she was in the heat, and she shared the gospel all day long with the help of a translator. It was the biggest blessing I'd ever seen, so I thought I'd made a mistake without asking. You know, probably the biggest mistake I've made is I, I had somebody come out, and they had not signed up for the uh, travel insurance. Mm-hmm. And uh, I made him sit down that night, take out the travel insurance on my computer, and two weeks later he had dinghy fever, and we had to fly, him that, had to fly with him to Bangkok. His dad was a lawyer, some of you may know. John Small, his son, came out as an ag student and helped us. And uh, I had just not reinforced him to take out the travel insurance, and he had dinghy fever. And I went with him to Thailand. I called his dad and said, hey, your son's going to be fine. We just had to get him to Bangkok to get the, the treatment that he needed. So anyway, mm-hmm. so those are just a couple of things that came to mind. Um, we've had a lot of teens come over, and they do a lot of good work. But we have some that... Uh, come over for different reasons and have different expectations. So make sure you're very clear on expectations um, and be aware what you heard before you got on the plane could be completely different once you get there, okay? So you almost need a plan B. And then the second thing is, um, you know that crazy guy in your church that has a weird thought, a weird process, 
that he's kind of outside. You know that guy? We've got some of those on the missionary force, okay? All right. You're going to run into them, okay? I'm not pointing to him. I'm pointing to us. 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 Yes. He's got a beard. Yes, he can take it. Uh, I, no joke. I just heard another guy working with some other part of Tennessee Baptist, and he said he went flew all the way to China and landed there. The missionary looked at him and said, I don't know why you're here. We're leaving in a week. So plan B. Be ready. because. And then the one other thing that I would say uh, that, that becomes a big problem area. When you talk to somebody on the field, this is our experience, when somebody talked to a Chinese brother or sister or a non-believer, and they handed them their information to us and said, they're close. Okay. We followed up with them. Most of them were not close. Most of them just wanted attention from a foreigner in English. And so that means the transfer of relationships is really, really hard. So the people you meet are people God put in your life. You are the disciple, main disciple maker the rest of their life. So that means you might have to find a way to communicate with them. And those, there's some others uh, that we can we can talk about, but those have been the biggest headache for us and the team. Good. Adam, you want to speak to that? Any mistakes that you've seen with mission trips? Yeah. Um, I think just dovetailing on that, and this was a short-term trip that I took before I was overseas, just communication and then grace. Is, is one thing. There's just just trying to communicate as much as you can. What your expectations, your desires, what you're hoping to do, what you can, what what your church is bringing, and then also just hearing from whoever's on the field what they're doing. Try to communicate as as much as you can, as best as you can. Um, but then also know there's a lot of grace that needs to be given both ways. You know, once once you get there, and so. Uh, that God's good and He works through those things or those uh, issues that happen, but communication and grace. And then uh, for those of us on the field, you, one thing I would say is you know your bodies and you know the people in your bodies <laughs> and you know their giftings and you know the ways that God is working in them and is blessing your body through them. And you also know weakness and struggles and challenges. And so uh, just to... To love your your body well, to love those on the field, just taking that time to uh, to vet them well and to uh, make sure that they're prepared and that as best you can, as best you can. We we had one trip that, um, uh, uh, yeah, just some things happened and a person's medical condition wasn't made aware of and it it uh, caused a lot of, of just strain and and, and unrest and. We wanted to care for her, and so if we would have known that first, that it helped out. So just communicate with then. Yeah, you used a word that I thought was good there, of vetting. Um, I kind of have been under this philosophy of like, hey, we want everyone to be able to go on a mission trip. And then I realized, no, not everyone's ready to go on a mission trip. And so that's hard. How do you tell someone, we don't think it's good for you to go right now? You know, let's keep working on you and try to grow you, mature you. And yeah, God willing, we'd love to see you go on a mission trip in the future. The structural system 
that we've put into place to try to help with that is when anyone's going on a mission trip for the first time to say, give us two references. And then we send a reference form to them and saying, hey, how hesitant or supportive are you of going you know, with that person. So it allows for a little bit of anonymity, you know, that it wasn't just my one reference. What, what'd you say to the church about me? You know, that there's two different people to try to have that be anonymous, but to get some feedback. Cause yeah, I've learned the hard way. I was like, Oh, there's someone I wish, you know, hadn't gone on the mission trip at all. That was, um, someone that left in the middle of the trip just had to, yeah, get back on the plane before the trip was over. So that was, that was a hard lesson to learn. Um, what are some of the best practices that you guys have seen? So not just talking about all that you've seen, but like if you could have your ideal mission trip team, if they could just do one or two things, what would you want them to do? What have you seen that works best? Maybe maybe this is a little bit different. Um, I did not want to be a missionary. I had no desire to be a missionary. It was not in my plan, um, but it was obviously in God's plan and what he was going to do. And he just, he had to work through it. So I went on a short-term trip with my wife and uh, it's, it's good. Like in, in my mindset at that point in time, short-term was good, but long-term, I just, it just could never happen for me in my mindset. Uh, the, I think best practice or what I would say what happened afterwards where I had a brother who was very intentional in following up with me, discipling me, and loving me after that trip. So not letting that trip just be the one experience that has good memories, but then afterwards, what has God done and following up with where God is working in the different people's hearts that are coming back to your church. Where, Because you, you want to go to that trip so that there is change in their lives. And how can God use that, whether they stay back in the States or whether they need to start looking at what God's doing? Uh, and so a lot of, to me, a lot of the work can start after the trip is over, debriefing with people, loving people, talking to people, helping them process through what God's working in their hearts, and then trying to help disciple them to, to use what God has been doing. So that's, that's how God used or what God used to get me on the field is a brother who was very intentional after that trip to spend a couple of years discipling me, walking with me, loving me. Uh, to... Yeah, that's really good. What about you guys? Anything that you want to share about mission trips and making disciples with best practices? I would just add that um, I, I mean, I've learned in my own life journey is that I, God sometimes has to teach me my ABCs. Adversity builds character. And so even when you bring your teams out, uh, there's going to be things that are going to happen. There's going to be the challenges. But, but if your people, if you've invested in them, if you've discipled them, if, you, if they're you know, praying about you know, being deep, deep, deeply prayer, or deep prayer life is important. I would, I, would not, I would say don't come to the field. If they're not practicing in, in the States, don't expect them to just go overseas and aviation. There's no transformation by aviation. Yeah. Right, no transformation by aviation. <laughs> So make sure that you're encouraging your people to be deep, deeply into the Word, deeply into their prayer lives, just so that they're communicating with the Lord the whole way because we couldn't have been on the field all this time without your prayers and without our own intentional prayer lives. So mm-hmm. I would just add that. Yeah, okay. there, there, will be a, there will be a lot uh, that I would like to say toward that. Um, but I think the, the, the 
two things that I would like to say is one, it's always good to have somebody, if you're going to do like a partnership multiple time, have the same, at least one person come because that makes it easier on the missionary and that makes it easier on the team. You've got somebody there as a connect. And then the second thing that would be, would be, would be vital would be somebody that knows the plan and sticks to it except when the Holy Spirit leads them otherwise. You know, we're in China, high security. You have to be very careful where you share and how you share. But there's also a time when the Holy Spirit steps in. So we've seen people do that really well and some people just share with and just break all the rules and get us in trouble. So, but, but there's that balance of doing what we need to plus following the Holy Spirit. So. That's good. Yeah, definitely following up that short-term trips kind of be within key partnerships. So that's one of the things that I've done at our church is trying to say, we're not taking mission trips everywhere. We're going to have a few places that we feel like are strategic partners and we're going to go consistently. And and what that builds, there's a high... Um, I don't know if recidivism is the right word, but the return, you know, that when someone goes on their first mission trip, there's a high chance that that's the country they want to go back to, you know, on their second mission trip. And so uh, that's that can be a healthy thing, you know, to say, all right, you could lead the future team, perhaps, you know, and that all of a sudden you don't have to be the, the person who's always going. And that's, you know, something that I would share to anyone in the room as well, who's maybe a pastor or sender who isn't necessarily going on every mission trip too, to be able to say that this is part of your own leadership development within your own church so that um, it doesn't have to all be dependent on one or two people, staff or lay, that you just are raising up more leaders to, to do it. That's good. Um, wanted to open it up for you all. What questions would you have of any of us? Yeah. Matt, can you describe the process that you use at Calvary for people that maybe have never been on a mission trip? Who, I think I heard, I heard clearly about the references. That mm-hmm. they have, do they provide references? How does that, what does that look like? Yeah, so it's a several-month process. Um, we promote it. Um, to the whole church, but the best way to get people is through the people who've already gone before to the places, and so they're reaching out to people in their you know Sunday school classes or whatever, and so that's helpful. And then um, never sending just a bunch of people where it's their first time to that place, you know, if at all possible. And so there's someone who is able to be the team leader, and so always have a designated person to lead that team. And so for them to walk through both the paperwork and the people work. So um, I put my business card up there in the back. So feel free if you want me to email you like the volunteer team manual that we have, like we have our own version. Other churches sometimes have that and you can feel free to borrow, steal, edit, whatever you want, you know. That's right. They do. They do submit an application. Uh, we actually provide um, a scholarship of twenty five percent for our members who go on one of Calvary's mission trips. You know, if the missions committee approves that, then we give twenty five percent scholarship to help. But yeah, they have an application, um, and then uh, yeah, take them through that process. They have those meetings leading up to the actual trip. So yeah. Anyone else have a question? Yeah. Well, the hope is that you're always going to meet a need that's there. And so I just trying to look for opportunity, go to IMB and look at projects that are available. And so is it right to assume that 
that you are you're in regular contact with the things that you need because you know you had the for instance of a team that went and then the the pastor was leaving a week later so is it is it that there's regular communication and you're sending requests for what you need or is it that once you're on the field it's assumed that there's going to be needs and you're going to get people to come does that make sense at all i think i think in this day and age they're they're um, much better at, at, at keeping that problem from happening and that was i think that was an isolated incident somebody was told to do it something like that <coughs> But uh, I think they watched them pretty close now. So when the IMB says they've got this. And that's that they've been in contact with you on the field and this is what we need. Yes. Because yes. I'm sure there's plenty of people that, that want to come, but if you don't yes. have a need, then it can be more of a burden, I would think. Yes. Yes. In Cambodia, we've been Security 3, even though it's much more open there than, say, in East Asia. But sometimes what happens, because we're Security 3, nobody can... Nobody knows we're there. And so they have to write the board and say, who would you contact? And they'll have, have given, I was a cluster leader, so they'd give them my name or a contact person, somebody would, could contact and ask. So I've had many people ask us. And, and at one point it seemed like Cambodia was the flavor of the month. It was like everybody wanted to come to Cambodia because you didn't have to have the, the same, the visa was a little easier to get and it was not as closed and there was not high security as much as some of the other places. But I would just say that uh, it would be just good to make sure we contact the person that you're talking to and, and make sure we relate who it is, what it is you're wanting, what you're capable of doing, what, what the needs are on the field. They'll try to make that clear to you also. Let me ask a follow-up question to that. Which of you guys have the margin and desire for more mission trip teams to come work with you? Show of hands. If you don't, that's okay. You might already, like you've been doing this for 20 years and you've got, you know, your plate full. Anyone want, for example, there may be someone here who's like, hey, we want to, you know, find a, a key partnership, you know, and want to explore options. And they may want to talk with you after, you know, this ends to say, hey, what are some of the trips that you've got that our church could look at? To be fair to my, our teams, I'm on my final state side, so I would be happy to connect you with some people. I think great. we would be open because I've talked to them before about it. So it's great. if you're interested, let us know. Yeah, we're happy. We're, we're in transition, so we we're, have some things to look at, but we're happy to always have discussions and look at what God can do. Okay. Yeah. We are we are jobless right now, so uh, there are cities no longer can have IMD uh, personnel. Um, so um, I can't say that I am open, uh, I have a place for you right now. We hope to move uh, to a city or that a location that will be able to do that. And if that's the case, I would be more willing and ready to have people come. Good. Yeah, and so feel free to exchange contact information. Can kind of have that conversation going in the future. Good. Who else had a, saw a couple hands? Is it, yeah. Is it okay to mention, or can you talk about this, some of the IMB having to leave certain cities within China? Well, I know it's, it's uh, the pressure. Are you allowed to say anything about that? Um, the, the persecution and stuff you hear in China is real. It is worse than you hear, but it's not as bad as you hear. Okay, it comes in waves, and right now the wave seems to have slowed down. Uh, and uh, but uh, the I, if I understand it correctly, I'm I'm a team member. I'm not involved in leadership. The leadership wanted to move all of us to the larger cities where we blend in better, and with the hopes of keeping us in there longer. And uh, uh, and so they just said this city is, is 
not there. It's just very logical. However, however, there are a lot of people getting kicked out of the country, a lot of other organizations. Our organization has fared really well. We have really good security practices and protocols that put in place. Um, that's why you never hear specifically about any of us. But we still have a large number of people in China plugging away, helping the believers. So. Yeah. Um, one thing that I think is also helpful in this ever-globalized world is to be reaching the internationals who've come here. Uh, China has more international students in America than, I think, any other country. They're either first or second. Um, Seventy-five percent of international students in America never get invited into an American's home, which is a tragedy to me. This is like low-hanging fruit. I'm like, People are coming from communist country. Many of them have never heard the gospel. They come into our cities, and there's tons of Christians around, and yet none of them can have them over for Thanksgiving meal, you know, or something just real simple like that. So we uh, are, as a church, are working with Wake Forest University and uh, working with uh, Bridges with uh, with the ministry there on campus. And so we are having... Friendship families in our church connected with different Chinese students. So, like, we've got a couple of students, one from Shanghai, you know, and just going, hey, come over to our home. Let's, like, we had our house full on Friday night with students and friendship families doing dinner and games. You know, it's just, it's it's a great way um, getting to see a couple of them come to faith in Christ as well, which, of course, we love to see, too. Yeah. A couple of people had questions. I saw half hands raised earlier. I was just going to ask about the how, how do you guys kind of guide short-term teams? To, you know, a lot of the kind of mystique, the draw of going as an American is to view foreign lands, to see, and, and some of that I know helps you kind of capture a glimpse of the nations and a heart for the nations. But how do you keep that from just becoming a global tourism? Do you, do you advise like a, you know try not to spend more than X amount of time on tourist type activities or? Uh, for example, we had a team that went with the North Carolina Baptist to do disaster relief in Puerto Rico. I checked in with them a couple of days into their trip with, via one of the spouses, and I get a report back. Oh, they've had a, a great time. They've been to the beach, and they've seen old San Juan, and they've been to the ice cream shop. Oh, and they put a couple of roofs on. <laughs> you know, to my mind, that's like, oh, that's not the heart of what I wanted us to be doing and sending folks. But how do you kind of guide short-term teams in how to be disciplined enough but still, you know, uh, is there good in having that advantage of being able to do tourism? Yeah, I'm a proponent of prayer walking, but not prayer surfing and prayer snorkeling. You know, <laughs> sometimes it kind of borders on that. Uh, I've got a guy in our church who used to be with the military, and he wants no tourism at all. He's like, I don't care that we're four hours away from the Taj Mahal. We're not going to see it, you know. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, that's that's one side, you know. And then the others, I I personally feel like, one day max, you know, kind of like, hey, I've been to the Great Wall in China, loved that I saw it, you know, but also put that on the back end of the trip as well. Not saying that if someone comes to China, they definitely get to see the Great Wall, but I'm just saying with the people that we were working with, I thought that was good on the back end saying, okay, you're, you're here, you're focused, do the ministry. Hey, we can debrief and see something cool on your way back. Yeah. Yeah. What about, what would you guys say about all that? Because we, we, we had the we had the Kelly Fields Museum. We had Simrap. We used to put it on the back end after they accomplished what we'd hoped to accomplish. But spending time with them in prayer, 
uh, debriefing them when they've completed their task. I think that's in the book, When Helping Hurts, I think it's important. Because yeah, people come and we try to encourage them, please don't give away anything unless you talk with us first because we just don't want to create more dependency. Cambodia has been just riddled with dependency from through the years, so we just try to caution people about that. If, I know you want to help people, but you're not going to help them if you do something for them they can do for themselves. And this may sound like morbid tourism, but uh, seriously, I've had some of our teams in India go to a large crematorium. Um, I had heard David Platt preaching about it, how it moved him when he was in Kathmandu and saw it. And he's like, oh my goodness, like I'm seeing a spiritual reality here. These bodies are being burned and they're most likely in hell burning now. And just how challenging that was for him to see and how dark uh, it is. And, and I thought that that was helpful because our teams were working with some existing believers, even though they're less than 1% of the field there. And so I didn't want people from our church to think, oh man, India is great. You know, they've got more than enough Christians. It's like, no, you need to see how the 99% of the, that place is and is struggling and needs, you know, the help of these, you know, local believers. So. Yeah, I would just, to that, I mean, communication up, up front, you know, what are you bringing, what are, who are the people that are coming, what's going to be happening on the field, and then definitely bringing people into ministry instead of just into an entertaining thing. But ministry can have very many different looks and flavors in different places. We have in our city, the Quran has been uh, etched into wood, and they have these giant pallets of wood, and so it is kind of a touristy attraction to go there. And yet that's also a place where we can be the kind of dumb tourists and say, well, what does that mean? And then you're into a spiritual conversation and you're mm-hmm. heading towards the gospel at that point. So it, it really, t- you know, having that communication, what are we doing, what's the intent with where we're at, and, and bringing them into the ministry that's there. So. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not as anti-vac- anti-vacation missions. We don't advertise it. If I get a, a teacher, pastor, to teach theological education, and he has a vacation, I have a problem. But if I get a missionary team that's coming over, I mean, an evangelistic team, and one or two people in it really just came for a vacation, I'm okay with that. And a lot of what we do is, like they said, we you meet people and you take them to see these places. So you get two birds with one stone. But even if that person comes and all they do is vacation, and if they still have a good trip, they will go back home and tell people what a great trip and will be more likely to just give money the next time. So I don't beat them over the head. I say, yeah. So, you, hey, can you go pray for us? This day we're going to be doing this. We need you to pray for us. It goes well, they have a part in that, right? So so if we see it, we don't, we don't criticize and say, yeah, because something about them... They can't do it, and I don't want them out there doing something that they're not emotionally ready to do. Good. Maybe one more question. Yeah. With some of the issues of closing doors and different degrees of comfort with your national partners, how much independence do you ultimately want us as teams to have when we come over? Do you want to always be with the team? Do you want to mature them so that they come over without your aid? What's your kind of tolerance on uh, how we multiply your work by being a team to complement your strategy? We've had teams that have 
been repeats. They've come back, and their team leader's been there before, so they know where they need to go. They know where not to where not to go. They know what to eat, what not to eat. So, so we give some freedom to that. We still try to keep in touch with them, make sure we may give them a loaner phone in case there's an emergency. We want them to know where they need should, need should go. We, thankfully, we've never had anybody in our country uh, that I'm aware of that's had an injury other than we've had some TCKs who got hurt, but that's not a volunteer team. So, but uh, anyway, so we try to make sure that you have what you need and that we're available if you need us. So we give some freedom. We try to usually hire a, a van or whatever they might need, depending on who it is, a car to, to get where they need to go. And so they don't have to drive. We don't want you driving because it's, it's just chaotic in the capital. But, uh, so just, we give freedom, there's, there's freedom there. I would echo that with time and trust, yeah, just the, the more that you already know, or if there's national partners that can be with you, or have the language, or English to be able to communicate, then there can be a lot more freedom. Uh, but if it's your first trip, and, then, you know, we, we want to take care of you, we want to love you, we want to make sure you're not going to get dysentery, because drink the water off the side of the river, you know, it's just, it is. Mm -hmm. As a general rule, we give people more of our attention the first part of the trip. The first part of the trip is a very structured, so you've got this English corner or this thing to do with the hopes that at the end you will have people to meet with. This is the evangelist team, evangelism team, and, and that way there's freedom at the end. Um, it's always a good idea to have the missionary debrief or somebody to debrief the team on a regular basis, just to help them see understand what they're seeing you know they might see it as this way but it's actually that way and uh, um, I would encourage those as well for the for the for the evangelism team where you're just out there running around uh, doing nothing but if it's another type of team like building a building or something like that that's a that's a little different yeah an acronym that helps with leadership development process is MAL. M-A-W-L, M for model, A for assist, W for watch, L for leave. And I kind of want to bring that home, especially if you're a pastor in the room. Um, don't just outsource all of this. Don't just send people. Sometimes they need to see it modeled as well. And I know you can't go on every mission trip, but I hope that you're going on some of your church's mission trips, that you're leading by example do that more on the front end. It's more of that front end. Like, hey, I'm going to go. I'm going to take some people with me. Don't go, don't ever go by yourself. You know, bring some people from your church. Um, and then, you know, as the trip goes on, kind of assist them. Hey, why don't you do this? You know, and, and start deferring, letting them get some experience so that they have enough confidence and uh, skills to be able to do this without you, you know, next time. So I think that that's helpful. Yeah. Uh, just, just to add, I, just from me personally, I'm very thankful for the brothers and sisters the bodies that send short term teams to come so just just for me personally thank you thank you for even the desire the consideration um, I know some some have different views on short term teams and the benefits or the values mm -hmm. for me it's very valuable um, fellowship is valuable being able to show what ministry is having that being taken back to other churches hopefully people coming being changed so I just want to say thank you that's a to me it's a it's a blessing I would add to that that we could not have been on the field for 20 years without your mm -hmm. prayers, without your giving to Lottie Moon. So we thank you. We tell folks we drive a Lottie Moon truck and live in a Lottie Moon house. And I've had, I've had non-IMB missionaries have to go home to try to find more support because they couldn't stay on the field. Somebody stopped giving 
And I'm thankful we didn't have to do that. We were mm -hmm. glad to be able to come back mm -hmm. and speak in churches. So if you're wanting a missionary to come to your church, call up the IMB and ask them. I'm speaking every Sunday, every weekend, almost in the last two months, and, and we're trying to say no to very few places. So anyway, the IMB will try to find people. So we appreciate your support. We appreciate your... I want to close us in prayer, and I appreciate you guys helping uh, lead this breakout. Heavenly Father, Lord, all of us in this room are familiar uh, with the Great Commission to go make disciples of all nations, of all people groups. Lord, um, teaching them to obey everything that you've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you that uh, you've said that we don't go alone. He said, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And Lord, we know that great commission because people have discipled us. And the Bible's been translated into our language. Lord, but there are many, hundreds of millions of people who have never heard the great commission. They've never heard the gospel. They don't have the Bible in their language. They don't have a church within walking or driving distance, Lord. Um, and so for the lost in our world, Lord, our heart breaks. Uh, and Lord, we pray that you would use us as individuals, as churches, Lord, as a mission organization, God, collectively as the body of Christ, God, help us to do a better job to not be satisfi satisfied with the status quo. Lord, we uh, can do better by the power of your Holy Spirit, not by our own strength or might. Um, but Lord, we want to have the eyes and ears and heart, hands that are open to doing something better, doing something differently than the way we've done it before. Lord, there is an, a sense of urgency as well. Lord, and so I pray that you would find us on our knees before you, um, seeking your direction of what that looks like exactly for us. And Lord, we pray that as um, new fields are entered, Lord, as new people hear the gospel, as new people come to faith and are discipled, new churches are planted and leaders are developed and multiplied, Lord, we pray that in all of this, you get the glory because we know that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good. Thank you, guys.